Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Mutuality Matters podcast from Christians for Biblical Equality. Alongside my friend and ministry colleague, Rob Dixon, I am Lila Van Gerpen. Can women and men work alongside one another in healthy ministry partnerships? Our answer is absolutely. And on this podcast, we interview practitioners exploring stories about what flourishing mixed-gender ministry partnerships look like in the field. This week, our guest is Betty Dickinson. Betty is a prophetic artist, writer, and speaker who invites audiences to connect with God through visual parables of the spiritual journey in her ministry, Awakening the Soul. Betty earned her Master's of Divinity with an emphasis in pastoral studies and has worked with ministries like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, World Vision, Infinitum, and Kensington Church to awaken the soul through beauty and wonder. Betty and her husband live in Traverse City, Michigan with their two boys. Betty, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be with you guys today. Betty, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Let's start with a question we ask all our guests. So what's a mixed gender partnership that you appreciate from literature or pop culture, the movies, et cetera? And why do you appreciate it? Well, I love this question. And I was so inspired that over the weekend, I actually rewatched this movie and was just mind blown when I rewatched it from this vantage point. But my answer would probably be Diana Prince and Steve Trevor from Wonder Woman. So first of all, one of the things that inspires me about the film is what does it look like when a woman shows up in a room where all she has known is powerful female leadership and she has grown up in a culture where she's she's been empowered, she's seen women leading. And so what I love about it, first of all, is just watching her kind of blow through all of these cultural norms and, you know, be where she's not supposed to be culturally and show up in a room full of all of these men confidently without fearing kind of how they're going to respond sort of c- carrying in her posture a sense of I know who I am. And I know what my mission is. And there's nothing that is going to hinder me from stepping into this call. And I love that about her. But I also love the interactions between her and Steve Trevor, because throughout the film, I think initially he's a little bit like, who is this woman? You know, she just shows up in these, you know, conference rooms and spaces where men are leading and and she just shows up in her full self. And he, he kind of you know, has there's this one part where she shows up in this like room of all these politicians, and he's kind of bringing her out. And he's he's like, you know, my it's just, it's just my blind sister. She was looking for the bathroom. <laughs> she doesn't even know what to say. But what I see though is, even though he is a, a powerful man, I mean, he's a spy. He's somebody who just kind of is known as he says he's you know in the film I'm above average for my <laughs> for men. <laughs> Um, He's not threatened by her power. And in fact, throughout the film, there are multiple moments where he uplifts her and follows her into leadership. And there's two scenes in particular that I just, um, again, when I was watching it, was just mind blown from the the posture of male-female partnerships in ministry was 
there's the one famous scene where they get to no man's land and, you know, she has just heard about all of these different people who are experiencing uh, injustice. You know, these women who are telling her they're, they're taking our children into slavery. Like we can't eat, you know? And so she's fueled up like this needs to be fixed. I am, you know, we need to make this right. And, and all of the men in the film are telling her, you can't cross this. It's no, no man has ever crossed it, which I think is so interesting. Cause it's like, well, I'm not a man. And so <laughs> I'm going to move. And he says like, this isn't what we were here to do. And she said, well, this is what I'm here to do. And so she yeah. goes forward and she moves forward into the battlefield alone. She takes all of this heat from all of these bullets. And, you know, like there's that one scene where she's kind of just hunkered down behind her shield because she's so um, taking all of this fire. And I think sometimes as a woman in ministry like that, is what it feels like. And there was just this moment where I was watching the film and I was like, oh, that is what it feels like sometimes to go as a woman in ministry to take all of the fire. But then the guys in the trenches, like her her male counterparts say, like, she's taking all the fire, let's go. And they come alongside of her and they join her in the mission and like together they move the way forward, uh, which I just think is so powerful, such a powerful image. And then the other one is when just after that, they get into the village, they're trying to, you know, secure the area to to care for the people. But there's this one sniper at this actually coming from a church, which I find is really interesting, uh, you know, shooting at them. And nobody, you know, their sniper can't get the guy like none of the guys can handle it. And then Steve Trevor sees this shield or this, not this shield, but it's this debris that he remembers the moment earlier in the film watching, you know, Diana Prince's, uh, I think it was her aunt, like say shield and, you know, a woman holds up a shield, she jumps on it and then gets to where she needs to go. She, he, the Steve Trevor turns to his male counterparts and says like, okay, you're going to follow me. We're going to get under this thing. We're going to, and when I say shield, like lift hard, and they, she goes, she jumps, she, you know, they lift her up to where she needs to go. And I just feel like, gosh, isn't that a beautiful picture and example of partnership where he recognized, I can't do this. The men here can't do this, but she alone has the gifts and the ability to do this. And so we are going to lift her up and literally get underneath her and empower her hunker down and on our backs, she is going to be raised to where she needs to go. And I just think, man, <laughs> I would love to see more of that in this world. Uh, but I just love um, the partnership through throughout the whole film, really. And and in truth, too, she's not the only one who's the powerful one leading him. There are multiple moments where he challenges her. You know, she kind of has this idealistic perspective of how the world is that, you know, mm -hmm. there's just one bad guy to blame. And, uh, you know, he says like, don't, don't, don't you wish, like, I wish too, that it was just one bad guy to blame, but maybe it's more complex than that. Maybe I'm the one to blame. Maybe there's good and bad within all of us. And it's kind of him challenging her that then she opens her eyes to see the truth yeah. and the reality of the world they're in. And, and throughout the film, they just partner so well, um, yeah. and partner on mission together is beautiful. I love that. I wow. love that they're better together yes. and they, yeah. they both, because, you know, stepping into their, each of their leadership, they make each other better leaders and 
That's beautiful. We've never had anyone share Wonder Woman. So that's awesome. You know, this is so funny. I, as this must be my Enneagram four wing coming out here, but I actually like went through and listened to all of your guests and like, did anybody talk about this one? (laughs) Somebody had to have talked about Wonder Woman and nobody did. And I was like, oh man, that's so beautiful. Betty, I think you need to write an article um, looking at summarizing what you just said. It's so deep and it's such a great analysis. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I actually started writing a blog post about it because I was so inspired. So when it's done, I'll share it with you. Very fun. (laughs) That's great. Well, as you know, this podcast explores the dynamics of women and men working together in ministry. So let's hear a little of your story. Talk about how you hold this value in your life and ministry, Betty. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I think about this, I feel like so much of this, I just carry within my body and carry within my story because of what I've, what I've lived and what I've seen. And I think the value I hold is that I just see how desperate we are for both the mother and father voice and presence in in the church and that we need to be fathered by male leaders, but we also need to be mothered And I think what's been heartbreaking for me is seeing where the mother voice has been absent or silenced or, and I've seen the fallout of what our church looks like when, when women haven't been speaking or leading. And I think particularly right now in the ministry I'm launching called Awakening the Soul, my purpose in this ministry is to create resources and experiences that awaken the souls of leaders through beauty and wonder. And part of this is really actually even helping women in ministry who have been silenced uh, find their voice to to heal, to hear from God, to have their souls nourished in the midst of a safe place where they can arise into their truest selves. And so I'm seeking to empower and elevate women to sing the song they were uniquely created to sing Mm -hmm. with their life in ministry. But also, I think part of the work means for the men that I serve in ministry is to help them slow down and to see. And part that's so much of the deep, I know you guys have talked about like men need to do their work. Mm-hmm. And I think my desire is to help that journey begin to awaken, to hear the stories of women and, and where there have been gaps to recognize where men and women aren't leading together and to ask why and to reorient their posture and perspective in humility in ways that are more conducive to partnership. Um, And I just believe, I mean, the kingdom of God expressed in the world can be so beautiful when men and women partner together across gender and ethnic lines to serve. And I've seen this in my own story expressed in really beautiful and powerful ways, but I've also seen... (laughs) it go miserably wrong. And I just long for more for the church. And I I long for uh, a future and a world in which the, the mother and the father voice are, are really creating an environment of thriving for all people. Wow. Let's go. I'm fired up. That's yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Vision. Usually the question at the end, we invite people to cast vision and we'll ask you to do that again, Betty. But like, that is a beautiful picture of Mm. what the church could be and Mm -hmm. become. So thanks for sharing that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, So you said, I carry this in my body and and said a little bit about how you hold this. Can you just look back and give us some sense of what the journey has been like? So would it maybe some key markers along the way for you as you've developed this passion for women and men working together? Yeah, absolutely. So I think obviously my origin story is, is my family of origin and my mom is a powerful, strong leader. And I, she raised three powerful, strong 
women leaders. So I have two sisters and we are each, we were each captains of our respective sports teams. You know, like we've been leading, I have a sister who's leading in the medical field, a sister who's leading as a teacher and one in ministry. And so coming from a home where I was always empowered um, to be who I was, to follow my call and the gifts was such a tremendous foundation that I know many people have not experienced. Many women especially have not experienced. And I actually didn't grow up in the church. So all I saw was, you know, at home, my mom was a strong leader. And so that's just what you do. And I was always told you can do whatever you want to do, go after it, you know? And so, and I often felt that way too in InterVarsity. I know Sarah Cowan Johnson said this as well, like, in university, I just saw all these women leading and, and as a freshman was invited to lead and invited to speak and it was never questioned. Um, and then when I started to prepare to go to seminary, <laughs> when some of my university uh, staff, you know, found out where I was going, it's a formerly Baptist seminary. And they were like, I don't know if this is a good idea for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is going to be great. This is what God's called me to do. And Honestly, there was a sense that I knew not everybody believed that women should be in all levels of leadership and and not everybody believed that women could speak. And, and so maybe even, even my um my onus and my call to pursue seminary and to get my MDiv is I'm like, I'm just gonna cover all my bases. Like maybe if I have credentials after my name, that will validate my call more to whatever men I come. And I was just like, I'm just gonna cover all my bases and go to seminary. So I think, I think in many of the spaces outside of the church, I have felt empowered and equipped, um, but it's really has, unfortunately has been within the church that I've had the most um, battles and I've had to kind of overcome. Well, at the same time, I have also had a few uh, male partners that I really feel like, like my pastor right now, I feel like he's such a great partner and he is one of the best advocates I've ever had. Um, a tremendous uh, healing experience for me to work with him. Um, but it's 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 not been easy. It's uh, definitely something that I've had to journey through and really seek healing from and um, ask the Lord, you know, how do I do this? Yeah. And there was actually one, one, one moment when I was in seminary and I was, you know, thinking about my friend, Matt, who he he and I were kind of like competitive in seminary. We were very similarly gifted. We were both Enneagram threes. And so we would go after it. And we also kind of shared when we graduated, we both got the homiletical preaching award from that same complementarian <laughs> pastor um, who, you know, we, so what was tough for me was watching, like, we are very, uh, almost not identically, but very similarly equipped in our gifts mm -hmm and um call and yet i know when we graduate here he's going to ascend into leadership it will never be questioned whether or not he can preach or whether or not he's called but i know that the course for me is that it's going to be hard and i probably won't get a job as a pastor like i just you know and i talked through this with my spiritual director and she brought me back to the story of peter after the resurrection and she you know, reminded me, you know, Jesus walked with Peter. And as soon as she said, Peter, you know, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. Like, it's going to be 
your story is going to be hard. Following me means following me to the cross, you know, and he lays out to Peter, this is the call that I've given you. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And Peter immediately looks back and says, well, what about John? <laughs> like, what about him? Is he going to, why can't he have the same, like, I? why does he get to get a pass on the hard struggle? And Jesus says, who, you know, what is it to you? What I have told John to do, I have asked you to follow me. And I think for me, it's been over and over and over again, stop comparing and stop looking at other men and why they're ascending and to say, okay, Jesus, this is the call that you have given me in this time. And it is hard. It is harder than often my male counterparts, but you've called me to follow you. And so I must obey. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that so vulnerably, Betty. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about how to practically live out this value in your ministry? So like, what are the building blocks of fruitful partnership? Yeah. You know, one of the best experiences, learning experiences I had, Lila, was actually the Women's Daniel Project that we were in together. And so for listeners, this is a a cohort of women that InterVarsity empowered throughout our movement and really invited them into intentional leadership development. And Lila was one of the leaders of this cohort that forever changed me, truly, because I think uh, just to flesh out some of the principles, even from that, there was intentionality for systemic change. So it was our organization at the very top saying, this is such an important value to us that we're unwilling to invest the time, the resources, the people, to develop and empower women, but also to recognize them and to lean on them to help fix some of the issues that we have in our organization and to identify, okay, this team is going to help identify where the where are the gaps, where are women not ascending in our organization, and we want to empower them to help us create the solution. So I think that in itself was beautiful. And I also think when we're wanting to develop and empower women, we need to do so from a place of recognizing that women lead in all kinds of different ways, you know? And so I think what was beautiful about that cohort too, was seeing when we shared our leadership journeys and we talked about what it has looked like to lead. I mean, you have that like uh, just a colorful, diverse vision of what leadership looks like. I mean, you've got this artist here who's like, how do I lead as an artist? <laughs> you know, you've got people who are regional, you know, ascending into regional director roles. You've got people who are ascending into, you know, university press publishing roles and, and, and recognizing and holding the space for it to be expressed in all different kinds of ways that it doesn't look like one way. Uh, but I would also say too, Male advocacy has been truly hugely important. Um, and for me, that's looked like, as I mentioned, you know, my pastor just having him send one email, one email can make the difference between, for example, like my book being, you know, zero connections at all to it now having like 2000 subscribers of people who want to be a part of it, you know? So I think what I often, want to shout to men Mm -hmm. is you have no idea what power you have Mm -hmm. that just one Facebook post, one Instagram share, one email, you know, can, can make such a difference. And I think, um, you know, having someone not only advocate for me, but truly encourage me and come alongside of me and say, this is so important that I'm willing to make these steps and even to take the heat for it, 
you know, like there've been a couple of emails that he sent on my behalf that I know already he's taken the heat from, you know, and I'm like, thank you. That means the world to me and also changes things. It changes the game when men are women, men are willing to do that for women. Um, And I think honestly, too, we need to hear the stories of women we need, we need to be willing to hear the truth. And this is what I love about what you guys are doing here in this podcast is, we're creating space to hear this, the good, bad, and the ugly of what really ministry leadership has looked like for women. Because I think um, until we hear those stories, we can't see the gaps and mm-hmm. we're blind to them. And we also, it gives us an opportunity to sit in the pain of the loss and to grieve. And, you know, I've had uh, male pastors too, who <laughs> there was one like at the end of the Zoom call in the last five minutes, he was like, Hey, could you tell me a little bit about your story and what it's looked like for you as a woman in ministry? And I was like, uh, I think we're going to need a whole nother Zoom <laughs> yeah. call for that. <laughs> and, you know, to his credit, he wow. did, you know, like yeah. we had that conversation. Um, wow. So, yeah, I would say intentional systemic change, intentionally developing women in their unique call and gifts, male advocacy, and hearing the stories of women. And I think too, having biblical stories shared regularly um, in the church of where women are central to the story and that they're not just on the fringes, but the God brings them into the center of the story is so, so important. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, we hope that men that listen to this podcast do more than just send an email. But so great, Betty, to hear you um, frame it that way that you, I think you said you don't, you have no idea the power that you have. And so I think for listeners to be reflecting on that, especially men who are listening, that'd be great. Um, (laughs) We're celebrating today on this podcast, a book birthday for you. So as we're recording, I think it's three, two days, three days until your book comes out. So by the time this is uploaded, uh, listeners will be able to go get that book. It's called it's called Making Room for Advent. Do I have that right? Making Room in Advent. Making Room in Advent. And the subtitle, 25 Devotions for a Season of Wonder. Betty, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? And then because we're taking, a, obviously in this podcast, we're looking at women and men in partnership. Do you see that theme in the Advent story? And maybe talk a little bit about that. Oh my goodness, all over the story. I mean, well, what's really fun about this, actually, in talking about the Women's Daniel Project, as I mentioned earlier, is that each woman, each woman in the project had to take on their own project that leaned into their unique contribution to our organization. And so that's actually where this book began in 2017, was uh, my uh, mentor, Andrea Thomas. She was working in a marketing at the time with InterVarsity, and she said, what would it look like to create an Advent offering for ministry partners that uses your paintings and your writing? Again, leaning into leadership in a very unique way. And so I started working on these paintings in the context of this Women's Daniel Project, where we had actually studied the passages of the Annunciation and the moment where Mary and Elizabeth have this uh, space where Elizabeth creates room for Mary and uplifts her. And I just thought that was such a beautiful model of women collaborating together and empowering one another in their own unique voice. And of course, that's out of that place that Mary sings this beautiful Magnificat, which is the song God's given her to sing with her life. And as I started diving into Luke's birth narrative, I was just in awe at how much Luke in a patriarchal culture centers the story around women. So if you dive into Luke's gospel, it's just, you know, the birth narrative is just two chapters, but the main 
features of the chapters are Mary and Elizabeth and the new birth and the new life that they're cultivating. And what does it look like for them to respond to the invitation to partner with God in such foundational and transformative ways? And while I'm recognizing this and in awe of this, I was also grieving the fact that, I don't know about you guys, but I have never heard these stories told in the churches that I have been a part of. I have never heard women featured in the Advent story ever, except for maybe like a really minor note about Mary. And I don't, maybe it's in the evangelical world, we're afraid of talking about Mary. I don't know. But uh, I just felt this gap that, mm. gosh, if people knew the biblical narrative and what it actually says and how women are so central to the story and their voices cry out in these passionate cries. I mean, Mary's Magnificat is this beautiful expression of God's justice and his kingdom and his reign. And, you know, like Mary's contrasted with Zechariah, who's this priest in this position of power, who's supposed to get it, but misses it. And then Mary, this marginalized woman, she gets it. And she, they, you know, the angel asks them almost the same kind, you know, the angel presents this good news to both of them and they respond with a very similar answer. You know, Zechariah says, how can I be sure? And Mary responds, how will this be? Which sound a lot alike, but we see that actually Zechariah, you know, he was holding on to certainty and control and power and trying to make the story happen in the way that he wanted it to, or like not able to fully believe and wanted concrete you know, answers. I see this sort of as the picture of the enlightenment in Zechariah is, you know, we want the truth, we want the facts. And yet Mary is uplifted here in contrast as this woman who surrenders, who has a posture of openness and curiosity. And her question, how will this be, is a contemplative question that leans mm -hmm. into the mystery that allows God to just blow her mind with a limitless you know, unfathomable God who can do impossible things. And it's almost like she's asking, you know, where's the door to heaven and how does it get opened to this earth? And, and how he responds, is just this beautiful explanation, just like in creation, the Holy spirit will hover over you and this new life will be formed. And so just over and over, I'm just so inspired by their stories. And I think we need to see these stories told and we need to celebrate them and we need to uh, contextualize them in our space to see the gifts that women bring. And I have like a whole entry that says, you know, about making room for women yeah. and recognizing, yeah. you know, some of the patterns from the story is that uh, we can flesh out for all women, really, even if women aren't mothers physically or, you know, by adoption or any other way, a women have the capacity to be mothers in some way, shape, or form. And what I love about Mary and Elizabeth is they give us a model for an embodied faith through their stories, through the ways that they're deeply connected to what's happening in their bodies and how it's tied to what's happening spiritually. They speak the truth and empower one another. They call out in these prophetic declarations of justice and I think what's beautiful about their stories is the way they model being peacemakers. They give birth to peacemakers and they're they're in every context, you know, calling for peace. And I just think too, when we look at the world, and I don't know if you guys have studied this at all, but when it comes to world leaders 
and where peacemaking actually moves forward, it's often when women are included in the decision-making process for peace. And so I just see Mary and Elizabeth a lot model that so much. And I'm just mm-hmm. long for us, especially right now, uh, to create space for the mother voices to arise so that we can move forward uh, with peacemakers through them that we desperately need in this time of conflict and division. That is beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah, thanks um, for writing a book to help us with that. I know. I was just going to say that's, oh gosh, what a gift. And what an, a beautiful invitation to wonder mm. and um, have your voice part be part of that mothering of the church. I love that. Um, okay. You did this a little bit earlier, but we'd love to have you just describe your hopes for the future of your church and the church in general, the big church, big C church. And feel free to dream a bit here, but I don't think we have to. You've got this arm artist dreamer on your podcast. So yeah, exactly. You know I love it. <laughs> you know, I want to see women be able to show up in the room like Wonder Woman, where mm-hmm. they are not questioning and they're calling, they're not questioning whether or not they should be there, that they're never impacted by their posture or self-confidence, that it's just assumed that they can and should be there, that their voice is welcomed, and that they can show up in a way that they are unhindered mm-hmm. in the call that they've been given and to and to really lean in to the mission, just like Diana Prince, in, and just go after it without question. Uh, And I want to see partnerships emerge like Steve Trevor and Diana Prince, Mm -hmm. where a man isn't threatened by her leadership. Even a powerful man is not threatened by her leadership, but to lean in and empower her and to see her and the gifts that she brings and to lift her up and create opportunities for her to be lifted up. I want to see men grouping together, lowering themselves beneath platforms and yelling shield. (laughs) So women have a place to be lifted up into the call that is uniquely hers. And I want to see all people, men and women empowered to lead out of their unique identity uh, without feeling the pressure to fit a mold or a program, um, but led by the spirit to do only what they can do. And I think right now we are, you've probably, you've probably heard this terminology before, but just the sense that we need new wineskins for the church and the old ways are not working. They're bursting And I think if we look at where the wineskins are bursting, you know, we have, the church has largely been led and built by men. So what would happen if when we are empowering women, we are able to see these new wineskins emerge because women's voices are being welcomed to the table that I think women are central to helping us form these new wineskins because they offer a new perspective that we haven't considered before. We haven't built the church on women leading. And so what would happen? What would change if we allowed women to lead and and allowed them to speak their magnificats right into the world and to sing the song that they were given to sing in ways that lead to peace, that lead to justice, that lead to collaboration and the uplifting of the poor and the oppressed. And so I want to see women sing their magnificats and I want to see Luke's among them write their story and to give them the, the central place in the story to empower them to sing it. Wow. May it be so. I love that. Uh, You're amazing, Betty, because you managed to weave in. You got the Wonder Woman stuff. You got your Advent (laughs) stuff. Just, wow. Well done. That's amazing. 
powerful. Yeah, it's fun. This is so great. If if people wanted to continue to connect with you, where can they find you? In addition to buying your book, which comes out soon, but where else can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. Thanks to Lila's encouragement many years ago. Uh, it's at Betty underscore Dickinson, and it's Betty with an E with two eyes. Uh, BettyDickinson.com. Uh, as well as, obviously, if you want to check out the book, it's Making Room in Advent. Yeah, listeners, you chose the right podcast episode to listen to. <laughs> free, free gift. That's great. What a gift. Just in time for Advent approaching. And um, again, I just highly recommend the book as well as part of that reflection and wonder. Mm. Um, we should say too, Lai, we'll put all of that in the show notes so people oh, yes. can access to it there. Absolutely. Well, Betty, thank you so much for this conversation and for inviting us to wonder with you and and just imagine a more just and beautiful future in the church. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me. It's been a gift. Yeah. It's great to be with you guys. Wow. That was so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's process a little bit. Rob, what did you hear? What is staying with you? Yeah, well, first of all, Betty's a a visual artist, but I think she's a word artist as well. There was yeah. so much there to just enjoy uh, from what she had to say. I mean, for sure, for sure, her stuff about being a male ally comes to mind, Lie. But the other thing that I'll be thinking about is her bit at the end there about wineskins. Mm-hmm. And she talked about, I think the question she posed was, what would change if we allowed women to speak their magnificats, right? Borrowing from Mary's story. And mm-hmm. I think that's just a great question for faith communities and yeah. churches and really anyone listening who's a part of a a community to like wrestle with, like what would change if women were allowed free to, to sing the song that God's put on their Mm -hmm. heart, I think is how Betty put it. So uh, yeah, that's going to, that just is resonating with me, that question. And I hope it will for a long time. How about for you? I loved her breakdown of Wonder Woman at the beginning and really kind of how those analogies overlapped with her own story. And um, when she described the vision at the end of like, I want every woman to be able to just show up in the room like they're Wonder Woman. And it just made me think of like, yeah, what what stories or messages have I picked up along the way as a little girl and as a young woman and as an adult woman that told me to be small and told me to minimize my giftings and passions and abilities. Like what, and and what does it take to step into courage and show up in the room? Like God has ordained us with these gifts and these voices to be part of blessing of the church. And I just really love that um, vision. And I, I, uh, it's so compelling and it just makes me think like, ah, that is where the healing of community will be. Yeah. is more of that. And so, yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah, what a beautiful episode. Thank you, Betty. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Follow Christians for Biblical Equality on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date info and content. You can also leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. I'm Lila Van Gerpen with my co-host, Rob Dixon. We'd like to thank our guest, Betty Dickinson, our talented editor, Landon Hook, as well as Christians for Biblical Equality. Be sure to listen to other episodes with our team of co-hosts coming to your devices every week. We are the Mutuality Matters Podcast. Thanks for listening.
Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.